0: I want to talk to you this morning about being a light shining brightly. How many of you guys know that you're supposed to be a light shining in this world? And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is, is we need to be shining brightly. Because the truth is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world is getting darker every single day. I mean, you. I don't even listen to the news anymore because it's just depressing. You hear stuff, it's, it's become to the point now where you don't even hear good stories anymore. And all you hear is about the stuff that's going on in this world. It's falling around. The economy is bad. There's earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and mudslides and floods. And that's just in the United States. And then we have, over in the Middle East, we have Christians being beheaded for not turning away from their faith, for just being a Christian. I thank God that we don't deal with that in this country in that same way, but we still have a responsibility to shine brightly. And a matter of fact, it should be less scary for us to do it because if you go out there and shine for Jesus, you're not going to get your head cut off. So praise God for that. Amen. So today I want to talk about how can we make an impact on the world around us. If we're supposed to be shining brightly, how can we do that? And the truth is, I think that uh, the, the days of standing on a street corner... You know, shouting fire and brimstone is, is the days of that being effective is not not the same today. Um, first, I used to to go to the University of Arizona, and I remember there was this guy on the street and he or on the corner there in the mall, and he would just scream. You know, tell people they were going to hell and are doing all these things, and I, I used to get so upset. And at this point, I was a uh, I was a young Christian, if you could even call it that. I, I knew I didn't like what was happening, but I didn't have the, the gumption to do anything about it. But he used to, to, to tell everybody they were going to hell, and I'm like, man, how how is that good news? The gospel is good news. That doesn't sound like good news. And... You know, there was a time, and and some people kind of need to hear that. They kind of get pushed over the edge. But the truth is, there was a time that was effective. Now we're just pushing people away. We're alienating people when we do stuff like that, when we really need to be telling them what God has done for them and not not what is going to happen to them if they don't come to God. And And the truth is, you're really saying the same message. But we're doing it in a way that's going to draw people in. And that's actually not what I want to talk about this morning, but what I do want to talk about is, is a practical approach to how we can make an impact on the people around us, how we can make an impact on our friends, our family, our coworkers, the the clerk at the gas station, everybody that we see. And, and the things that we need to focus on, we need to take a look at how we're speaking, what are the things that we're saying. We need to take a look at how we're acting because people watch what we do. That's probably what we do is probably has the most impact on the people around us. Because as soon as you say you're a Christian, they're just like, what's he going to do? Oh, Christians don't do that. He must not be a Christian. Or if that's what Christians do, why do I want to do that? We have to, The way we act influences people's ideas of Christianity. And, and to be honest, it influences their ideas of who God is and who Jesus is. And then the next thing we need to look at is, is, is being consistent because it doesn't do anybody any good if on Sunday morning you're the most perfect Christian, you don't do anything, you don't cuss, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't look at the girls. But come Monday morning, if the next thing you're doing is, is pulling out a big old cigar and, and, and doing, cussing like a sailor, we haven't done any good because we're not making an impact. matter of fact, that looks worse than if you just never said you were a Christian in the first place. But those are the three areas that I want to focus on today. It's because it's how we speak, how we act, and being consistent in those things. Because the truth is, the world is always watching us. And I'll talk about it at the end, but the the reality is, is that if you claim to be a Christian, the Scripture says that you are a city on a hill, that you are a light on a lampstand, and you're that whether you want to be it or not. So that means that people are looking at you, you're shining, you're showing something. And the question is, is it godly things or are you telling the, the world that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites who want to judge everybody? Amen? So the first scripture I want to look at is, is Isaiah 49.6. It says, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the pres- preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This verse is referring to the Messiah. Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah. And he's referring to Jesus right here. And the interesting thing is, is he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Basically what he's saying is, you know what, Jesus? You coming back, saving just the Israelites, saving just the Jews is too small a thing for you to be doing. I've got much bigger plans for you. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus was a light to the nations. Salvation for not just the Jews. God's, this was always God's plan. God's plan wasn't to just save the Jews and they screwed up so now the Gentiles get a chance. We have a chance because they messed up. This was always God's plan was to save everybody. God always wanted Jesus to be a light to the nations that the entire earth would have salvation. And I want you to know today that if you're a Christian, you are an extension of that light. You are. Our light to the nations. Matter of fact, we are, are in the Great Commission. We are told to go out and, and, and be witnesses to, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Basically, our, our local area, our regional area, and, and the entire earth. We're supposed to be lights to all of them. We're an extension. And Christ is a light in us that we shine on the rest of the world. And the point is, is not to point out their flaws but instead to let them know that there is someone that can take those flaws away, that can make a difference. And then in Acts thirteen forty seven it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, as we know, the Jews did reject the message of Jesus. And this is what happened. Uh, <clears throat> it says, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This is, this is speaking to, to, to Paul to be, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to bring the Gentiles in. Finally, salvation is made available to everyone, not just the Jews. And Paul turned to the Gentiles and he says that I've made you a light for the Gentiles. And the interesting thing about lights is lights are, are used for a lot of different things. And the first thing that lights are usually used for is to guide the way, right? We use light to see where we're going, to know where we're supposed to go. If you think about it, that's exactly what a lighthouse does, right? It's bringing them into port, or it's, it's pushing them away from air so they don't hit the rocks. But it's the way that they navigate. It's the way ship, ship owners used to navigate, was using the, the lighthouses when they were close to land and know where they were going. It guided the way. Light is also used to illuminate a path. Anybody that's ever walked out at night, especially here in, in, uh, in Tucson, where they're not allowed to put lights out at night, it gets dark. I mean, we live in Marana, and, and we're not even allowed to have street lights because of the ordinances in places. And if you go outside, it's dark. And we need a light to illuminate the way. And the same thing goes here, that, that Paul was, was illuminating the way for those who didn't know Jesus. He was basically saying, kind of like out in front the, the traffic directors with their little light cones pointing the way. Paul was saying, come my way. He was illuminating their path. You know what else light does? Light quells fear. You've ever seen a little, a little child when they're, when they're in the dark and they, they want the night light on because it, it's scary. They can't see what's going on. Because you don't know what's happening in the darkness. You can't see what's happening. I mean, that's, that's scary. And light, if the light is illuminated in that area, it quells fear. And like I said, with the lighthouse, it's a point to navigate to. Or the, the, if you remember that the, the ancient uh, uh, navigators would use the stars, points of light, to help navigate where they were going. And finally, the most important thing that light does is it allows us to see. Without light, you can't see. It's a simple experiment. Go ahead and lock yourself in the closet. Make sure no light gets in and tell me what you see. You see nothing. You see darkness. You see blackness. Without light, we can't see. It's like uh, Amazing Grace. He says, I once was lost. I once was blind, but now I see because the light was shown. He could finally see where he was going. And that's what Paul is doing. He's out there with his light. He's shining it to the Gentiles to let them finally see. Many times, people don't even know that they're missing it. People don't even know the, what's going on. They don't even know how to be saved. They don't know any of that stuff. And we shine the light that they can see, that they can come into the light. The light is like a lighthouse drawing them in. You guys ever heard the, the story about the, uh, the, the, the American battleship coming up against the, the Canadian lighthouse? I don't know if this is a true story, but it says this is a transcript of the, the conversation in October of 1995 off the coast of Newfoundland. And the American says, after seeing the lighthouse, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid collision. And the Canadian said, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. And the Americans say, this is, ca- cap- this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the Canadian says, no, I say again, you divert your course. And Americans say, this is the aircraft carrier of the USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States, Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. And the Canadian said, this is a lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Uh, The same thing happens when we guide the way people are heading for rocks they're heading for destruction and they're just barreling through and we have the opportunity to shine a light to guide the way and lead them from that certain destruction of being broken up by the wind and the waves but instead they can come into the light of salvation which we have treasure in earthen vessels that we have the opportunity to share with them amen also the scripture says that you are the salt of the earth Matthew 5:13 you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet this is kind of a weird scripture it talks about salt losing its saltiness saltiness is an inherent property of salt it's what makes salt salt and he says you are the salt of the earth. That's us. That means that we, we have spice. We have flavor. We have something that can make an impact and make a change on the world around us. Like when you put salt on a steak, it changes the flavor, right? It makes it taste different. It actually has an impact on that steak. And that's, that's what we are in this world. We, have, we are salt. We're here to make a difference. But if, if we've lost our saltiness... And not like the teens used to this day talking about being salty and nasty. It's talking about being, it's talking about being, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Huh? Enhancing. Enhancing. Having an impact, having a difference. Basically adding Flavor. Now, if you have a steak and you, and you put salt on it and it doesn't taste like anything, what's the point? What's that salt good for? If, could you imagine if you pulled out of your, out of your cupboard your, your thing of salt and it turned into sand? That's the only way I can think of that reminds me of salt that's not salty. It would just be sand, I guess. And it makes sense because then it's not good for anything to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet, which is all about sand is good for walking on. Without our salt christ inside of us what are we here for if we're not enhancing those around us if we're not making an impact on those around us what are we what are we doing my when i think about this when i think about people that have that have received jesus but they don't want to to talk to others about it they don't want to share with others they don't want to do these things i think man how can you be so selfish I mean, you freely admit that God changed you on the inside. He's done something inside of you. He's made you better. He's, he's healed you. He's cured. Whatever He's done, He's made an impact in your life. You've decided to follow Him. But you don't want to share that with others. It's like the story of the person that won the lottery and, and just took and put all the money in a, in a mayonnaise jar and buried it in his backyard. Nobody does that. Do they, Wayne? Nobody does that. But... They would tell the world about that. Why don't we do the same? Why are we not being salt? Why are we not making an impact on the world around us? Basically, the saying is that if salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it it be restored? If you've lost that, what is is it good for? How are you going to do anything as a Christian in this life if you are not Salty. But instead, you're 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 nothing you're just you're you're not making a difference, you're not making an impact. The the impact that you might even try to make would be worth nothing just to be trampled under people's feet. Amen. So how can we remain salty? Here, here's what I want to talk about. How can we remain salty? How can we remain flavor enhancing in the world around us? How can we make a difference? And make sure that, that our works aren't worth nothing, but instead are making an impact on the world around us. And the first thing we have to look at is how we speak. And Ephesians 5 3 through 4 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We are saints. We are saints. You know, it's not being a saint is not anything to do with, with being voted by the Catholic Church to, to to put you on a medal or something. Being a saint is what we are as Christians. The scripture refers actually I believe, if I recall correctly, the, the scripture refers to us as saints more often than it does as Christians. That is our identity. It's who we are. It has nothing to do with what you've done, what you've accomplished. You don't have to to do a miracle while you're alive and then also do a miracle after you're dead and have the the people vote on it to make sure that you're a saint. You're a saint because you're a Christian. God has made you a saint. And it is who you are. It's, It's your identity. And it's been given to you. And if that's who we are, it should make an impact on how we behave. You know, there's two indications, primary indications of a person's character. It's what they laugh at and what makes them weep. What they laugh at, you can tell what a person is really like by what they laugh at. When you're at work... Or with friends, are you engaging in dirty jokes? When somebody tells a, a dirty joke, are you, are you laughing just as hard with the rest of them? Or are you like, man, that's not right. And I'm not saying that you have to point fingers and cast them down. You can be a light. When, when they say something like that and you don't laugh, you just kind of keep a straight face, you don't have to talk down to them. They're already going to feel uncomfortable because they know something's not right. You don't have to do anything. And the scripture here says sexual mortal, all impurity, or covetousness." It doesn't say we don't do those things, which we don't. But it says that these aren't even to be named among you. We're not even supposed to talk about this stuff. It shouldn't even entertain our thoughts. Because it's not proper among the saints, which we've already discussed, is you guys. The things that we say indicate who we are. And you, you say things that are an indication of, of, of who you are. And what you are flows out of you. And the things that you say indicate that. Also, like I said, the, the things that, that also indicate your character is what you weep at. I mean when 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 something happens at work, if you if you if you if you lose your you know you lose your, your retirement fund, you remember those people that when the, the economy collapsed and, and the, the there were so many people that committed suicide because their savings accounts dwindled away. Because that was what was important to them. That was what what they cared about more than anything in the world. Or do you weep when you look out there and you see so many people walking around that that don't have Jesus, they don't have the world, they're lost, and they're dying and they're hurting. Does that impact you? What we weep at indicates who we are. And also, like I said, out of of what we say, he's talking about here, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. What do we say about other people? And this is a tough one, especially if you work in a, in a workplace where people are always gossiping and talking about each other. It's difficult sometimes to not get caught up in that. But what are we saying about those, those around us? Are we saying bad things? Are we saying mean things? Are we cutting people down with our tongue? Are we using our tongue as a weapon? Because who we are on the inside flows out of us. As a Christian... You should be saying, encouraging things to people. You should be lifting them up. And that's how people are going to see a difference in you. Do people understand where you stand on things like the dirty jokes and the harsh language? I know at my work, when when the guys cuss around me and they they do more than, than I would like... One, I've never once, I've never pointed a finger at them. I'm, I'm never going to, to give them a hard time because, well, they're not Christians. I can't expect them to act like Christians if they're not Christians. And it would just be silly to do so. But it's funny because they know where I stand on this. That When they do do it, they usually catch themselves and they apologize. It's, it's an interesting thing because they know I'm not into that stuff. And I've never had to tell them. I've never told them, please don't talk like this around me. I just don't talk like that around them, and they know who I they know that I love Jesus, they know that I'm a pastor, they know these things about me because I talk about Jesus at work, I talk about my faith and who my hope is placed in, and they know these things about me. Do they know that about you and Finally, here it says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. This was always one that was tough for me and not and not so much because I was afraid to give thanks to Jesus, but I was afraid that I was going to get in trouble if I gave thanks to Jesus. Have you ever, you ever been in a situation like that? You know, when I'm at work and I'm dealing with customers, all different kinds of customers, I do, I do IT work. I basically become subcontracted IT team for other, other companies. And, and I used to be kind of nervous about it, but now when something good happens or a problem gets solved, I'm like, praise God. And I get weird looks every now and then. Most people don't even care. They're, they're fine with it. I haven't gotten in trouble yet, so I'm going to keep on doing it. But that's one thing I want to do. As is I, is I, is I, I made it a point to start thanking Jesus and praising God in public, let people see that. Let people realize that I, I give recognition to why these things are happening. And that kind of stuff makes an impact on the people around you. Because you can tell them a, you're a Christian, but if you never act like a Christian, they're wondering what's going on. Amen. The words that we speak should edify people. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then in Proverbs 13.14, it says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Do you encourage people at work? Do you lift people up? When someone has a problem, are you there by them sides to, to help them out, or are you just waiting for them to mess up so you can get their position? Their job. Are you a complainer? About the job, about coworkers, about the boss? It's easy to get caught up in this. I know I've had to catch myself from time to time getting caught up in this stuff. It's easy to do that. But we should be speaking differently as Christians. When someone gets a raise, do you congratulate them? Do you lift them up? Do you give them praise? Or, or, or do you get upset because they got a raise and you didn't? As Christians, we should be just happy as all get out when people succeed, particularly if they're a Christian. It says we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And our words have impact and power on those around us so what are we using ours for the things that we say is one of the ways that we can be a light in this world i want you to know that you're going to be a person that people want to be around with when every time something goes wrong you're right there to pick them back up and instead of kicking their feet out from underneath them and and kicking them while they're down you lift them up and you help them to get back up on their feet if somebody makes a mistake instead of berating them help them fix it encourage them if somebody gets a raise Jump up and down beside them. If they get promoted, give them high fives and smacks on the back. Be the kind of person that makes a positive influence on those around you. Because as Christians, that's who we should be. It should be just part of our nature as love flows out of us. Have you ever prayed for somebody at work? You know, I told a short story about what's happened to me at my job praying for people. But I've I've made it uh, my decision now that when people ask me to pray for them, we just stop right then and there and pray for them. I remember my wife and I ran into, um, I don't recall his name, but we ran into him. He worked at a a, uh, Sam Levitt's. And, He asked for prayer, so we just pulled him off to the side, held hands, me and my wife, and there was actually someone, I think he had us pray for a coworker or something. We all just held hands, we laid hands on him, and we prayed right then and there in the the middle of the store. Those are the words that should be coming out of our mouth. Scripture here says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When we speak in a wise manner, we are a fountain of life to those around us. And the impact that we have on their their moral compass and even their, their health is ultimately good because we are making a difference in those around us by the things that we say. But the, the opposite is also true. If we're saying all kinds of negative stuff and bad stuff, then, then we can bring the opposite of life, which is death. Instead of lifting them up, we're keeping them down. And I'm ashamed to say that I think so many Christians as a whole, this is the kind of life that we're, we're living. We, you know, you walk into a church and you see a group of people that don't look any different than the world around them. But I don't think that's how it should be. And I believe in better things for everybody in this room. matter of fact, I know better things for uh, people in this room. And this isn't a, a, uh, a message to, to point out people that are doing wrong, but instead this is to encourage you to keep doing the right things, to keep being that light in this world, as I know that each and every one of you are. Amen? When the opportunity arises, we also need to tell them about Jesus. Take every opportunity that you can. Acts 17, 1-4 says, Now when they had passed through... Amphopolis and, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women." We need to take the opportunity to tell people about Jesus when we have not We need to tell people that they have hope, that what they're going through is not the end, what they're struggling with is not the end, but there is hope, there's something better, and that Christ died so they could finally truly live. And many people are generally aware of their, their shortcomings and understand justice. People understand that something is going wrong and they don't quite know what it is. Matter of fact, that's why so many people search in alcohol and drugs and women. They're looking for something to fill this hole, the void they have inside them and they don't even know what it is. So they keep looking for different things and none of it's working so they have to keep going back. Even if they won't admit it, they recognize that they're missing something. Something. And we need to be there when the opportunity arises. If they have a question, answer it. If they have misconceptions, help to correct those. When they you know, one of the biggest misconceptions that I had when I was growing up was that God was this big guy in the in the sky with a stick, just waiting for me to mess up so he could hit me over the legs. You know, he wanted you to mess up so he could punish you. And as we know, that's not who God is, but that's who I thought it was. Probably because of TV. Most people's conceptions and idea of who God is, is one, by the people, the, the so-called Christians around them that aren't living as Christians, and two, the TV. We see all, I see all kinds of weird depictions of God on the TV. It absolutely amazes me. But if I didn't know any better, I would just go with it. I mean, shoot, they made a, they made a movie about a, a priest, so, and it's on TV, so it must be true, right? When you go into a store... Ask if the, if the clerk needs prayer. If you're sitting down at a, at a restaurant, ask how the, the, the waitress is doing. Ask, do they go to church? Do you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life? You see, the thing about Paul is, is when he, wherever he was going, it says Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He told them about Jesus and it says as was his custom. This is something Paul did day in and day out. And if there's any Christian that I want to imitate, it's Paul. And he talked to people about Jesus. You know what I, I know Paul didn't do is go in there and start beating people over the head with a Bible. He didn't start telling them how terrible they were and how wrong they were. And how these things they were doing, they were going, instead he told them about the love of Christ. He told them that Christ died and he suffered and rose to the dead for them. This was Paul's custom—not an every now and then thing—but this is who Paul was. The next thing we need to pay attention. I'm going to try to speed this up because we're way behind. And the next thing that that Paul tried to do was—or not Paul—that that we should do is—is—is is, is behave in a manner that's that's becoming of Christians. Amen. And in matthew twenty five thirty four through forty says "And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me food, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick, and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink, and when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you or naked and clothe you, and when did we see you sick?" Or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What we do to others is how we treat Jesus. And the inverse of this is true as well. When we treat others badly, it's because in some way we don't understand or recognize how valuable they really are. Jesus considered them valuable enough to give his life up so that they could be made whole. Jesus considered them worthy of his own life. I think we should give them a little bit of credit too, amen? The scripture says in John thirteen thirty five: By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is particularly talking about love for the brethren, loving one another. But I think that as Christians, we should be showing love to everyone. Love should be exuding from us. When people walk by us, they should, you know, like they say, can you feel the love? You should feel it coming from us. And the way that we look at people and the way that we speak, the way that we interact. Christ's love should always shine through. And that means to even some of the people that you would think that maybe you shouldn't have to or need to or even the people that they'd push you away. One of the things that I've been doing differently over the last couple of years in my own life that God's been doing with me on is is when I see people begging on the street for money or on the corner or in front of a gas station. Because when I was young, there was an experience that made me feel like this person that was begging for money was taking advantage of people. And I've told the story before. I don't have time to go into it now. But basically, it kind of turned turned me off to that. Just like, you know what? If some of these people are going to act like that, then I'm not going to deal with any of them. And I just stopped giving money. At best, I would take them in and buy them something to eat. And most of the time, I would just, sorry, I can't help you. Because I, I felt like that I had been taken advantage of. And it skewed my view of that completely. But, but God's been working on my heart. And as I read scriptures like this, I began to understand that, you know what, I would rather give money to the wrong person a hundred times than I might give help and love to somebody the one time that needs it. And that, I've changed my attitude with that. And whenever I have, and people ask me for money, and sometimes I look at them and I just know. I know that, that they're just taking advantage of people, or they're going to go drink, or they're going to do something else. And, and at least that's the way I feel. But I'm like, you know what? What if they're not? What if they genuinely need, need help? And, and they don't get it from me. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to, to take care of them, help the poor. And they don't get it from me, a Christian who's supposed to be this way. I proclaim that's who I am, and I'm not, I've not been acting like one. So I decided, you know what? I would Like I said, I would rather give to 100 people that don't need it to make sure that I give to the one that does. And I've changed how I do those things. I recently saw a video of a, uh, you can go on YouTube, and there's a, there's a couple of guys out there that will actually show the difference how homeless people react and how uh, um, people that are well-off react uh, when, when people ask them for stuff. And and uh, one of the, the little experiments they did is they went to this up to the people in Taco Bell and they were asking, they, they dressed up a little a little homeless, and they and they, were, they asked them if they could have some food. And almost everybody was like, no, you can't have any of this. Good. I mean, they had food in front of them and nobody would share. And then they went and uh, had one guy go in and buy some food for this homeless guy. He had nothing, but they bought him like a, a small pizza or something. And then they had that guy come back in dressed up as a homeless man. And he sat down next to the homeless guy who probably hasn't eaten in forever. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm hungry. Can I have some of that? And the guy just freely gave his pizza. And I was amazed by that, when all these people that have everything couldn't be bothered. But the real story I want to tell you, because now I just got distracted again, was the, when I said, you know, I look at people and I think that they're going to do the wrong thing, and I realize that I have to be careful not to judge people. I think it was the same group of guys or another group like them. They gave, came up to this guy, and he was sitting on, on a park bench in a park, and they, and they gave him $100. And they wanted to see what he was going to do. And he looked like a drunk. They thought he was going to go to the liquor store. And sure enough, they got it on camera, and they followed him to the liquor store. And now they're like, I oh, can't believe it. He's just going to the liquor store. He walks into this liquor store, but then he walks out with a bunch of bags. He didn't buy one ounce of alcohol. He just bought food. And he began to walk around the park to all the other homeless people begin began sharing with them, giving them food, and, and, and just being a blessing to them. And their first instinct when they, when they gave it to him was they were, they were going to try to catch him buying alcohol. You know, so I realize that we have to be careful about when we look at people making these judgments and what we think they're going to do or they're not going to do, and instead, in all cases, just express the love of Christ to them. Amen? Next, we need to do everything that we do is unto the Lord. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do should be in the name of Jesus. You know, today's society, we don't deal with it much. The name, you know, being in the name of something doesn't mean much anymore. But they were well acquainted when this was written about those, about that reaction, how those things happen. If you went out and did something in the name of the king, that means that you were doing it as if the king was doing it as himself. You had all his authority behind it. And when we do something in, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means that when we do something, we're doing it as Jesus. And as Christians, the funny thing is as people recognize that about us. And when you go out and do anything, if you claim to be a Christian, they figure you're doing it in the name of, of Jesus, and they're going to apply whatever you did to Him. So when we do something good, then people are touched by that. But when we do stuff bad then people attribute that to Jesus as well. Which is a sad thing. When we do anything in the name of Jesus, we're doing it as if He did it. So the question we ask is, is what you're doing something that He would do? In Acts 17, 5-6... <clears throat> It says, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble and they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here. Also, we should be men and women who are turning the world upside down. You know, when Paul went into a city, things got heated up. Crowds got raised up because he was telling them about Jesus and when you speak the name of Jesus, sometimes that ruffles a few feathers. When we go into a city, that city should be being turned upside down. The strip clubs in the area should start closing. Bars in the area should start closing as people get saved and realize that they don't need to be a part of that anymore. That's the kind of people we should be that are turning the world upside down. Amen? In Matthew 23, 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you, tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. We need to be consistent as well. We talked about we need to watch how we're speaking. We talked about we need to watch how we're acting. And now the most important thing that you have to do is make sure that you're doing those things consistently. See, that's the problem that the, the scribes and the Pharisees had is that, you know, on, on, on and during the, the services they were looking all good, but as soon as they walked away and they weren't in front of people, they were they were doing the wrong things. Or in this case, they were teaching people to do a certain thing, but doing completely different things. There are one thing on the outside, but something entirely on the inside. And like I said, as Christians, everything that we do, people will affix to the Lord doing it. They will, they will attribute that to Jesus because we claim to be Christians. And when we do things that are unbecoming of a Christian, you don't realize it, but you're actually dragging Jesus' name through the mud. When we see all these TV evangelists, these famous TV evangelists, they get up and they do silly things and they get involved with these different things it's only for a brief moment that people are looking at the guy and said they begin to look at Christianity. They begin to look at God. People begin to think, why do I want to be a Christian? Look what these Christians are like. Why do I want to be a Christian? Apparently, they're no different than anybody else. Matter of fact, in this case, they're a little bit worse than some other people that I know who aren't Christians. We have to be careful what we're doing because what we do makes an impact on the world around us. When we're inconsistent, all people see is the bad stuff. Matter of fact, we're all guilty of that, right? How many of you have recognized that you typically judge yourself by your best of times but you judge others by their worst of times? That's something about about who we are. We tend to do that as Christians. We need to make sure that we're, we're, we're keeping that in mind and making sure that everything that we do is becoming to the Lord Jesus. Amen? Not only that, we just need to make sure that we're we hear the word and do the word that's the quickest way to be consistent is hear it and do it and john james 121 through 24 it says therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not only and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. Like I said, not only are we responsible to hear the word, but we need to be doers of the word as well. It's kinda of like the scripture says, the, the seed is planted in good soil or rocky soil. When we hear the word, we need to make sure that it's it's finding its way into fertile soil in our hearts and producing good works in our life, doing the things that we hear. Renew your mind daily. Let your faith grow. Spend time in the Word. That's one of the greatest ways to be consistent. It's just let, your, let your, the Word come awash wash over you and let your mind be renewed. And one of the, the greatest ways to not be consistent is to, to never read your Bible. And don't let your mind be renewed. Read your Word. Live out what you learn about yourself. You're going to read the Bible and you're going to find out wait a minute, I'm victorious. Wait a minute, I'm forgiven. Wait a minute, I'm clean. Wait a minute, I'm righteous. Wait a minute, I'm perfect and pure in Him. I'm holy. I'm set apart. I'm more than a conqueror. You're going to read these things, so read it and live it out. People that live these things out are going to be doing things that are becoming to Jesus. And don't immediately forget your victory as soon as Monday rolls around. We hear the word on Sunday, we leave here feeling great, but if Monday comes around and we forget everything we heard, then it's done us no good. Instead, continue to spend time on the word. Continue to claim, like we heard this morning, the woman claiming the promises over the life. Claim those promises in your life and live them out and don't become like this man here. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. See, that's what happens when we don't aren't doers of the word. We read the word and we, we see all those things I just talked about being victorious and forgiven and we see who we are like looking in a mirror and we're like, man, we look like Jesus and it's beautiful, but as soon as, as we walk away, We forget what we look like and instead start acting like who we used to be instead of who we really are in Jesus. If you heard a sermon every day of the week, and it was an angel from heaven that came down and was preaching it to you, which ain't going to happen because that's our job to preach the gospel, but say, if all you did was hear that angelic proclamation of the scriptures every single day of your life. If all you did was hear it and you never did anything with it, if it just came in one ear and out the other, it would have no power in your life. It would have no impact in your life. If we rested in hearing only, that would never get you to heaven. Because we have to receive that word, not just let it wash over us, but instead, in one ear and here, not the other, but we have to receive that word and begin to trust in God and trust in what he says and begin to live out the reality of the promises of God in our lives. Amen? Amen. Romans 12.18 says that we also need to be at peace with all men. Romans 12.18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's a tough one. Because it doesn't say, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with everybody you like. It says with all. That means there's going to be some people that that you might not like. You might not be able to stand them, but you need to be at peace with them. There's going to be people that have done hurtful things to you. But as far as it depends on you, you need to be at peace with them. There are going to be people that you have done wrong to. You heard that right. There's going to be people that you've done wrong to. And as far as it depends on you, you need to be at peace with them. If that means you have to go and apologize to them and ask them for their forgiveness, then that's what you do. Now, that's one of the things that I notice as, as a Christian, because especially at work, when there's times that I do stuff that that is not very Christian-like, one of the first things that, I've, that, I, that I start to do now is I apologize I remember actually it actually wasn't too long ago, I haven't cussed in a really, really long time, and I don't know what happened, but I was pouring coffee and I poured a cup of coffee, and I was taking a drink, and the lid came off, and I poured coffee all over the front of myself and i I don't remember what I said, but I said a cuss word and and I'm like, I haven't cussed, and I don't know how long I don't know where it came from. You guys didn't know that the pastors are just like, you we make mistakes too we we thank God we're forgiven, right amen. So I did it and I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. Around the same guys that are always catching themselves in front of me. And, and you know, what's funny is I, I came up to them and I and said, you know, I, I apologize. I, I don't know why I said that. It, it's very strange. It's kind of bothering me because I don't know where it came from, but I, I'm sorry that I said that. And they're like, man, I didn't even notice she said it. They're so immune to it. But, but I felt like that I had to apologize because that's not who I am. And I think that that's, that's something that we need to do. When we when we, we do something like that, don't let people think oh, that's what Christians do. That's not what Christians do. The fact is that sometimes we just fall down. But thank God the righteous man gets up, falls down seven times, but he gets up seven times. Which basically means if you fall down, get up. But whatever it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It doesn't say that you have to be Peaceable with all men. You have to be at peace with all men. It doesn't say that. It says as far as it depends on you. Now, if you've done something stupid or somebody's done something stupid or you've gone up to them and you say, look, I want to get this behind us. I want to make amends and they just ain't having nothing of it. that's not. There's nothing you can do about that. You're only responsible for what you can do. But this is the way Christians act. We do whatever it takes to be at peace with all men as far as it depends on us. Amen? And we'll end here. In Matthew five fourteen through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house, in the same way that your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So they can see your good works and not give glory to you, Just because you gave thousands of dollars to the Red Cross, that shouldn't give glory to you. That should give glory to God. Just because you go out there and you put all kinds of, of work in helping the homeless, that shouldn't be lifting your name up, but instead lifting the name of Jesus up. But he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want you to know that, like I said, if you're a Christian, if you've claimed to be a Christian, and all you have to do is claim to be a Christian, People are going to attach that to you and it says that you are the light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This goes two ways. When you're living the, the revealed life of Christ inside of you, when you're living out the victory that God has had, when you're living as a Christian and doing everything in the name of Jesus, people are going to see that and they're going to go, you know what, I want what they have. You don't have to jam a Bible down people's throats to get them saved. Just let them see what God's done in your life. And they're going to be interested. They're going to be curious. They're going to wonder that, man, when the economy is crashing around us, how can you always have an upbeat attitude? How come when you're going through a death in your family that you can say so, so at peace about it? How can, when you just lost your job, that you're not upset about it, but that you're, you're just putting your faith in God? They're going to notice that. I had a a co-worker tell me, he was talking about uh, uh, this lady that he used to work with that was like that. No matter what happened, she just put her trust in God. And he said, you know what? I wish I had faith like that. Because she didn't let anything bother. And I'm like, you can. But he wasn't having none of it. But every opportunity I get, I try to share with them, Share what God's doing in my life and what he can do in theirs. You are a city on a hill. No matter what you do, is going to shine a light on Jesus. The question is, are we lifting his name up? Are we letting people see the love of Christ expressed in everything you do? Or are we basically dragging Jesus' name through the mud? And people look at us and go, why would I want to be a Christian? I know atheists. I know heathens that are, that are better people than you are. But let's remember that we are light's that we are cities on a hill, that we are lights on a lamp and that we are shining brightly for God. And I am convinced that people in this room are shining brightly. And just by living your life in a godly manner and taking every opportunity to share when you can, you will make an impact on the people around you. People are going to get saved because they knew you. People are going to make it to heaven because you spent time in their life and they felt The love of Christ being expressed through you. And I believe that when we live our lives like that, there's going to be one day in heaven, people we didn't even know are going to come up to us and say, you know what? You may not remember me, but that one time when you you gave me a dollar outside of the Circle K, that was a turning point for me. I began to see something different. Or that one time that you prayed with me at work. I know you didn't see any changes, but I want you to know that, that five years later, I gave my life to the Lord. And it all started because you took the time to just pray with me. When your light is shining brightly, you will make an impact on this world, And people's lives are going to be touched. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.